Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, presented by Conserve the Wild, your destination for an unfiltered look at conservation. Now let's get wild. It's important for, for deer, it's important for hunters, and it's important for anybody that cares about conservation. Welcome back to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast, presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 55, A Major Win for White-Tailed Deer. About two weeks ago, something happened that I suspect will change conservation in this country in a pretty big way. That something was a merge between two white-tailed deer conservation groups. So today, I'm going to talk with Lindsey Thomas Jr. and Nick Pinizzato about the joining of the Quality Deer Management Association and the National Deer Alliance. Now, full disclosure, I'm a member of both of these organizations. And in the past, I have touted the benefits of QDMA and have had various members of the organization on to talk about their impact. Uh, For those of you that have listened to many episodes of the show, you might remember Lindsay's name. uh, Back in the first year of this podcast, we talked to him about planting trees for uh, wildlife that is going to benefit wildlife. I've had Hank uh, Forrester on to talk about the QDMA Field to Fork program. And I've also had Matt Ross on to talk about the Deer Steward program. I love the QDMA. Uh, they do some, They have some great programs and have a huge impact on conservation, uh, especially when it comes to white-tailed deer. I love the NDA. I have been a member since its inception, which we'll get into a little bit here in this episode. Uh, they're more of a, uh, they have been more of a advocacy group, uh, focusing more on politics and, and things like that, um, you know, bills, uh, outreach, things like that. And I've been a member of them since the very beginning. So what we're going to talk about in this episode is basically we're going to delve into what this merger means for current QDMA and NDA members. We're also going to talk about what changes will be made sort of at the chapter level. Uh, We're going to talk about how this union is going to help deer. And after this conversation, uh, I really think that the excitement in their voices says it all. This is going to be a positive change a big change to how things have been done, but a very positive change to the things we're going to be able to do for white-tailed deer moving forward. I'm joined today by Lindsey Thomas Jr. of the QDMA and Nick Penizzato, who is the CEO of the National Deer Alliance and now the CEO of this new big news uh, merger between the NDA and the QDMA. Nick, Lindsey, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, definitely. Pleasure to be back. So as we talked a little bit before I started recording, uh, and, and Lindsay, you were my first guest from the QDMA on the podcast. Uh, I've had, I've talked about the QDMA a lot on this podcast. I've had many different people from the QDMA on this podcast. I am a person who drank the full Kool-Aid when it came to QDMA. And when the NDA first came about a couple years ago, um, with, especially because it was a free membership, but I don't think it really mattered. I was felt like I was one of the first to jump on board and uh, start getting the, the newsletter and start getting involved with all the advocacy that NDA was doing. And, you know, as much as I feel I'm involved with the QDMA, 
uh, and the NDA. I didn't really see a merger coming. Uh, Nick and Lindsay, you guys can you tell us what exactly is going on with uh, you guys now working together and becoming one organization? Sure. And in both of us, we've answered this question a few times, so um, we're probably equally expert in the answer. Um, so I think it's a lot of things. Um, number one, uh, people, if, if they've been paying attention, understand that Quality Deer Management Association was part of the National Deer Alliance, along with Mule Deer Foundation and also Whitetails Unlimited. And so, and to even take it a step further, as a longtime member, you'll recall that in 2014, when QDMA held the North American Whitetail Summit, that's where really this idea for a national deer group uh, like the National Deer Alliance that would be focused on policy, would be focused on all deer species, um, that's really where it emerged. And so uh, eventually through that process, the National Deer Alliance was launched as a separate organization and for uh, the last five years has operated as a separate organization, although as part of this larger alliance. And so that's a bit of a long story to say that uh, QDMA and NDA have, in addition to just being part of the alliance, have worked very closely together on a number of things. There were also a lot of things that frankly, we did the same. And so when the uh, Quality Deer Management Association had the transition in leadership um, with Brian Murphy's departure, uh, it just opened up an opportunity to have a broader discussion about how the National Deer Alliance and the Quality Deer Management Association may work more closely together going forward. And then that led to what we called a joint venture between the two groups where myself and the executive staff of QDMA started working together on that very issue. And it wasn't very long into that process where it became clear that, you know, really it's redundant to have both of us. We think we can make each other better, bring, bring each of our strengths together and have one super organization that's gonna be really good at policy, that's gonna be really good at boots on the ground conservation, and is also gonna be really good at recruiting and attracting uh, new hunters or, or people that frankly are just uh, interested in deer and care about deer. And so then you, if you wanna throw into the mix COVID-19, um, which a lot of people have asked us if this was done because of, of the pandemic, and that's not true. These conversations started before the pandemic really changed everybody's lives. But it also was part of the conversation because now how just a, how the groups would raise money, the competition for resources, it just seemed like a streamlined approach with less miles to feed in terms of having to get two organizations funded just made a lot of sense to us. And so obviously there's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes and for, for a lot of people, and it sounds like including yourself, it was a bit of a surprise, uh, but we've run into very few people who said, you know what, you know, there are a lot of few, few people that don't feel like that this just makes a lot of sense. The pandemic really, uh, you know, just bringing that up, I mean, it really, I, I feel like it really caused a lot of organizations, a lot of companies to sort of 
rethink how they do business, right? Um, do we really need to pay for rent? Um, do we need to have this headquarters that everyone sort of comes to? Um, and then also, you know, even just the day-to-day -day business, what we're doing, is it really the most effective way uh, of doing business and, and spending those dollars? Um, you know, and I, I guess this question could be sort of directed right towards Lindsay, since you're the communications director. Uh, what, I mean, what are some things that you have done during the pandemic that people would look at and be like, oh, they're, they're doing this to still get some funding, to still have some outreach, but it's different than what they've done in the past? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, the way Nick kind of laid out the, the narrative there, the, the storyline, it's clear that, as he, as he explained, it's really sort of two parallel developments with uh, the the, the unification conversation beginning really before we knew what COVID was going to mean this year for nonprofit uh, wildlife conservation groups. But then the pandemic hit, we were already in the CEO transition. And, um, you know, the, the board named an, a, a group of five of us on the QDMA side to be an executive team to handle uh, things during the, the transition. And yeah, it was right off the bat and very soon uh, after that, after we were named to that team, that we realized some significant adjustments would have to be made. I mean, for us, just like most other conservation groups this year, it's meant the loss of in-person events. And that means for most of us banquets and it means fundraising. Um, you know, many organizations, including us, had much invested in that model of banquet fundraising. And when those went away in the spring and then eventually the summer, and now we're at a point where we realize we probably won't have uh, any in-person events in 2020. Um, so the way things are looking now. So yeah, right off the bat, we had to make adjustments. We had to make some very tough decisions about cuts and cutbacks and things that we could streamline. But we also had to uh, look at new ways of funding the mission. And we went to the entire team here and said, what can we do? Um, went to our supporters, our sponsors, our volunteers, um, and uh, looked for different ways, uh, things, and many things we hadn't tried before. Um, we've done a lot of raffles, online or, or sweepstakes this year, uh, reaching out to our audiences, whether they're members or not, and, and offering them a chance to, to earn and win some hunts and prizes and all kinds of things through the internet and not gathering in a room, you know, not having a live auction or uh, raffle tickets in a, in a banquet hall, uh, just straight through the internet. And it's, it's worked out very well. Not only has it helped us um, fill the gap in funding, but many of our supporters and sponsors who provide some of the uh, great products we've been able to fundraise with have been very happy with the exposure they're getting from that. You know, this week we're running another sweepstakes giving away a six foot Furminator G3 food plot planner. And we're selling those tickets as we speak. Uh, so our team has, we not only have we found ways to get around the problem of no in-person events, but we realized, boy, why aren't we doing this all along? So you're right when you say that this has forced groups like ours to get creative. Maybe before it was kind of easy to just stick with the status quo. Well, we don't you know, we could change things, but we don't really have to. And now we're being forced to and realizing we sh really should have done some of these things long ago. The, the 
infrastructure was there for us to do this, the development of the internet, the development of our communication systems with people electronically um, was there and, and the capability was there for us to find these new sources of funding. We've only you know, just now been um, forced to take those. So yeah, you're right. It, it, much of the change that will come out of this year in response to the pandemic will be good change and will be even things that um, we will continue to do even if uh, as COVID-19 goes away as a problem and a concern. Yeah, I guess, you know, the first thing I, that came to mind whenever I read the press release of this joint venture was like, wow, okay, I didn't expect that. And then I thought, well, this, this is good, right? This is two, these are two organizations that I'm involved with um, in some capacity. So, you know, that's good. But then it wasn't much long after some thinking that I thought, you know, obviously that's going to mean changes. What are those changes going to be? And that, that fear of the unknown um, can really work on some people. Uh, my father is one of them <laughs> since uh, he is uh, just very recently, a Q I was able to convince him to become a member of QDMA and uh, he has jumped in with both feet, uh, taking the Deer Steward One course online, um, you know, really, I mean, just reading the articles is, and getting the email newsletters. And he has been a big time QDM convert uh, around me. And there's just some concern, you know, because um, we have property and a lot of the things that QDMA has really put out there as far as information really hits home with us. And when you think about a, a joint venture between the NDA that also has some ties to the Mule Deer Foundation and, and other types of deer, how's this going to affect the, the mission of QDMA and, and the information that we can gather about white-tailed deer? Is that something that was thought about before announcing this merger? And, you know, how, how could, I guess, how could you sort of put some relief into current QDMA members? You know, this is the first time we've ever been asked that question. No, I'm being wise, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, really? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to keep it, keep it light here. So number one, it, it's, we're all predisposed to when we hear that something is going to change, our minds just immediately go toward the negative or potential negative, how is this going to impact me? And so I don't blame anybody for hearing about it and just having that initial reaction because that's what we all do you know, on, a, on a variety of different subjects. And especially one like this where this is people who tend to be involved with, with conservation organizations like this, they do it because it's a personal passion, which means it means something to them. And so therefore they um, they care about it a lot and they think about it. And so it, the initial reaction might be nervousness or apprehension. But uh, so the reality though is, and we, we've tried hard, we've tried um, our best to put out uh, information through shows like yours. Um, we put together a really uh, detailed questions and answers document about the changes. And all of that information is in there. Um, but I think it's it's important that we continue to talk about it and get it out there. And so what I've been, I've been trying to boil it down into a simple phrase, and that is that it's more for everybody. And, and it's not less for anybody. 
So for example, um, I'm a person who's been a long time QDMA member, life member. I'm a level two deer steward. Um, at one point was a property owner before I started moving around all over the country. Uh, but anyway, we, we managed our property and I like, I like chasing older deer. I love all of that. I love the on the ground habitat work. And so that was really core to what QDMA was about initially, but that also, that also came with some challenges, which we may get into later. And just that it immediately made a bunch of other people think that it wasn't an organization for them. So it's caused us some growth issues over the years. But um, in terms of change though, and I'll, I'll try to stick to the topic here, we're, we're not changing or eliminating QDMA programs that your, your dad, for example, has grown to love now as a new member. That stuff remains. Steer steward program, for example, our field to fork program, which is just, it's an emerging program, but it's one that we absolutely need to invest in, uh, not changing. Uh, thing for, uh, same thing for the National Deer Alliance. We were, are, we still exist. We're 100% policy-based organization. So everything we do is on, is on a policy level, uh, issues that impact deer and hunters. And so that's not gonna change. Really all we're doing is we're bringing these two pieces and making them one piece. Um, so where QDMA certainly involved itself with policy, um, Kip Adams in particular has played a large role in that arena. But Kip also has had multiple other responsibilities at the organization and also kind of serving as what I would determine or look at as our chief conservation officer as well. Whereas at the National Deer Alliance, we were 100% focused on policy and Torin Miller, who heads up policy at NDA now, um, won't be burdened by other things uh, that come with running an organization. So it's, again, it's, it's more for everybody. More, more policy works, more heft in that area, uh, freeing people up to really focus in the areas that they're expert in within the organization. And so this is not what I've heard. I've heard some people say, well, this is one organization taking over the other or things. This is not any of that at all. This, this truly is two groups coming together that had very similar missions anyway to do the absolute most we can for deer and for hunters and for the deer hunting industry. So um, understand that people may be nervous or apprehensive, but I think as they start to learn more and see how this sort of uh, goes down the tracks here, there'll be more optimism and even excitement uh, about where we're headed here because this is important for, it's important for, for deer, it's important for hunters, and it's important for anybody that cares about conservation. Yeah, that, that makes me feel good. Um, like I said, it, change, you know, that fear of change is there. Um, but knowing the just sort of, after all my reading, knowing the general way that this merger was sort of happening, it seemed like more than anything, it was just going to be great, as you said, great for deer. Um, and that things might not be, it, you know, it's not a wholesale change. It's not all of a sudden we're going to focus more on mule deer, um, you know, at the expense of whitetail deer or anything like that. It's more of, hey, how can we do more efficient and better work at what we already do? Well, if we work together um, as one, then we would be able to be more efficient and, and get more of that work done. So I looked at it. I, I continue to now, especially after hearing you talk about it, think this is 
a truly great thing for uh, conservation and really for the economic driver uh, for hunting. You know, I mean, white-tailed deer is is sort of that big one that game species is you know that ever that millions and millions of people go after. Um, I guess my other question, and it sort of relates to this, what Lindsay, what you were talking about with the how you've had to adapt uh, with the pandemic and the the closure of the banquets. Um, this year does it seem is this like okay we we aren't going to be able to have banquets this year is that going to be a forever thing there's never going to be any more banquets or is that something that you would like to try to get local chapters to start doing them again once we get in the clear of COVID-19 we're looking at that whole program just like this year we've been forced to look at everything QDMA does and ask tough questions about whether, you know, it's worthwhile, whether the expenses we put into things are worth what we get out of them. And certainly just like everything else, the, the banquet system has been looked at, looked at in that regard. Um, because we have found that not only the national office, but some of our grassroots volunteers, some branches and some of our state advisory councils have found this year that we can do things like online gun bashes and raffles and other fundraisers without anybody leaving home and be successful at it. Um, that's what we're going to go, you know, go forward with and, and incorporate into the model. I think the way we've, and we, and we just last night had a, on a virtual town hall meeting that Nick and Matt Ross and uh, Josh Hilliard led with, with our branch volunteers. And we had over a hundred branch volunteers on the call, a lot of great question and answer. And, and, and basically what they were told is, look, if your branch loves doing your annual banquet, don't stop. When, when we reach a point where uh, COVID is no longer a concern and people can hold gatherings like that in a safe way and no one's at risk, and your branch likes doing banquets and enjoys that and is good at it, go for it. But we also know that there are a lot of branches and volunteers out there who either are uh, burned out on doing banquets uh, or just don't enjoy it or never never figured out how to be successful at it, whatever it might be, who don't, you know, who actually are going to be relieved and are relieved to hear us say that going forward, they may not be required to do a banquet, uh, that we go are going to encourage different models of community fundraising and, and education. Um, so, um, you know, Nick, did I, did I word that correctly? Are we officially now saying that banquets are no longer required or that we're looking at that? I'm not, I'm not sure, but I think a lot of our branches um, have expressed positivity to that news that, that that may no longer be, it's not that we're going to end banquets, uh, but it may be something branches can choose to do among many other options in the fundraising toolbox. Yeah, I would just say you, you said it perfectly, Lindsay, and that what, the one thing we're trying to make sure uh, that people understand we're not saying is that uh, what we're not saying is we're not doing banquets anymore. I think Lindsay um, said it very well there that you have, we're just providing flexibility uh, at a local level. And we want to be, we want to be tied more strongly to our folks working at the grassroots level. And part of that is, is flexibility with how we raise funds. So um, yeah, I think, I think Lindsay, you said it perfect. Yeah, and that is again something that I'm I'm glad to hear that that flexibility aspect, um, and just I guess the reason why I'm saying I'm glad to hear that is because 
I feel it's very, very important to still have, as long as, you know, you're allowed with social distancing, all that stuff, hopefully the stuff goes away, we can get back to more normal life, but it's still a good thing to have those in-person aspects, especially for new hunters or people that are interested in the conservation aspect, you know, the neck, the networking and uh, making the connections with other hunters and other like-minded people, I think is just absolutely tremendous. Um, you know, I know, I mean, I grew up in a hunting family uh, where I, I mean, I hunted since I was 12 years old and I only waited that long because at that time in Pennsylvania, I had to wait until I was 12. Uh, but when I went to my first QDMA banquet, you know, to be around that much knowledge and that much enthusiasm, uh, even for a seasoned hunter like me that at the time was probably in the 18 or 19 years of hunting, um, you know, it was still a great experience. So even if it's not necessarily a banquet style, just still having the option to have some sort of in-person something to get people together to talk and, and to make new friends. And I think that is something that is vitally important to the organization. Well, we, we get that for sure. And I think as part of the town hall uh, that we had last evening, one of the points we tried to get across was and, and, and even just my own personal experience, because as I was able to share with the group, I too was a, was a branch volunteer and was on a banquet committee and got to experience that. And uh, what I relayed to them is that when I signed up as someone who just was all ate up with how to raise and, and eventually hunt a, an older deer, which uh, you being in, in Pennsylvania with me recognized that that is a pretty had had been a pretty tall task. Uh, still is. Uh, still is. <laughs> it's, it's still is. It's a tall task anywhere, but they're not. They're not behind every tree. And so, um, I remember when I signed up, the very first thing I did was was pushing banquet tickets. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I signed up because I wanted to, to be part of the mission and and do more for the resource. Not that, not that I didn't recognize what I was doing on the fundraising end was was a part of that. I did. And so, as I said to the group last night, we, we will not forget, and we put high importance on the reasons you signed up to do this. And it's because you want to deliver the mission. You want to deliver our mission on the ground locally. Fundraising is part of that. But the other part of it is what you're actually doing there locally and, and getting that mission out there on the ground. And so, as an organization, it will be, it'll be part of our culture going forward that we are working very closely with our, with our volunteers, with our branches, our branch leaders. And because ultimately that's, that's our network that puts, puts the mission on the ground. So uh, we just want to strengthen that relationship. So Nick, I have to ask, uh, you're, you have been the CEO of the NDA, um, admittedly a smaller organization, uh, not many employees. Uh, now you will be CEO of this new joint conservation group that has many more employees. H how do you feel about that opportunity? Well, I, I'll just say, number one, the National Deer Alliance was small by design. We never, never wanted to grow it. We didn't want to compete for resources. And I was very reluctant, even whenever we eventually hired Torin, uh, up to that point, I was very reluctant to hire anybody because I just wanted to make sure that all of our focus was on the mission. 
Um, so it was small by design. In terms of uh, stepping up to the larger organization, it's, it's nothing new for me. I've run organizations larger than QDMA. Um, I was the CEO at Delta Waterfowl Foundation and, and also the, the Sportsman's Alliance. Um, sizable organizations. And, I, and I'll just say that in terms of the opportunity, it, to, to me, it, it's really, it's not the size or anything like that that intrigues me or gets me excited. It's number one, it's being part of a team again. That is probably the biggest thing I missed when I was with the NBA was that I just, I didn't have this team to roll my sleeves up with and go to work with every day. And so uh, being able to step back into that now with the team at, at, uh, that QDMA has has been great. It's been great for me. Um, I, I like that role. I like, um, I, I just, I really like just having teammates around that you can work with. And that it, at times I admit it, it would get lonely with the NDA because you had partners that you worked with, but it still wasn't the same as people that are living your issues with you. Um, that want, that want to do well for themselves, that want to do well for the organization and just to have that common thread. So, uh, for me, um, running an organization, I've never, that, that that's not challenging in a sense that it's like um, you feel like you can't do it or anything like that. It's only um, it's it's just challenging in a sense that it's about getting all your team working in unison, working efficiently, handling the business one hundred and one stuff. Um, you know that's that's where the challenge is. Other other than that, I actually I enjoy it. I love I love working with the team and making progress. And man, I'm. I'm really excited about how much progress we've already made just in a few months while people weren't even aware of what we were doing. So uh, the sky's the limit for this group. It really is. So what is, and Nick, Lindsay, either of you could answer this. What is the mission as far as members? Um, unfortunately, it doesn't seem as, as though percentage wise, white-tailed deer hunters are enthusiastic about supporting a conservation group as say elk hunters with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or sheep hunters. Um, what, what's the goal? What, what kind of steps are we thinking we're going to be able to take to be able to get more people to sign up to be members of this new organization? I'll let you take that one, Lindsay. Ooh. Yeah, that's a tough one, and it's going to um, come out, I think, in the next few weeks and months as we go through the strategic planning process. Um, you know, I think um, I think change is part of that. The the news that we have uh, unified these two groups, um, and we'll have new things to talk about. There's always, as Nick's explained, always going to be what both groups have stood for, and the mission and the messaging. Um, will always be there, but we've got new things we want to focus on, some things we want to grow, like field to fork, that we want to make much bigger through this process. Um, so, you know, hopefully just having that, the new name, um, some new branding and a new look, um, compare, com combined with some of the programs we really want to grow, um, will put us in front of, of new faces. Um, and even, you know, the, the field to fork program we've talked about before is almost a, a mechanism for creating our own new audience, creating our own new members, because it is going out there and getting in front of adults who don't hunt, offering them a taste of venison and then show, offering to show them how to go help them get their own. So we're creating immediately through that 
program new adult deer hunters who were introduced to it by us. Um, so yeah, there's, there's several aspects to that. Um, but yeah, that, you know, it's, it's, there's also, I gotta admit, and I'll be honest, it's always been a bit of a mystery to all of us in deer conservation. And I'm sure Nick would agree with me. I'm sure those in the other deer conservation organizations would agree with me that, you know, you look at um, some of the other groups that focus on some different species and, and how large they are. And yet here's deer where, um, you know, the vast majority, 70% plus of all hunters say they primarily hunt deer. How come the biggest conservation organization in the world isn't a whitetail group? Um, that's, that's still a mystery that um, a lot of people would like to solve. And I'm hoping that, that, you know, with Nick now on our team and our team combined, um, that is something that we're going to, to really work on. Someday somebody's going to discover the, the, uh, the answer to that question and, and how to get deer hunters united uh, and, and more engaged and involved. You know, you're never, any participant group like that, you're never going to get the majority or 100% of, of everyone to participate in, in a nonprofit uh, charity group like this to do good things for the, for the future. That's just, not everybody's a joiner and a donator, um, but we certainly, the, there is so much opportunity and potential out there for, for us to be so much bigger and more influential than either one of our groups has been in the past. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I talked with uh, on the podcast, Robbie, Robbie Kroger of uh, the Blood Origin Show, and he mentioned how people in America take their public land for granted because it's there and it's, it's always been there and we feel like it will always be there. So uh, we, we take it for granted. We don't really necessarily fight for it, although that sort of changed in, um, you know, in some recent years. And I almost feel like there's a parallel between our public lands and our white-tailed deer. I mean, we take them for granted that they're there and they're in great numbers and we feel like they're always going to be there because we see them in our backyards. We see them riding down the road. Uh, we curse at them when they run out in front of us as we're driving down the road. Um, so I almost feel like that's sort of maybe the reason why hunters are, are not joining a conservation like this in as many numbers or at a greater percentage as some of the other ones like the Sheep Foundation that, you know, obviously they've had their issues, um, you know, as a species compared to the white-tailed deer uh, more, more recently. So uh, I wonder if that might be more of the mindset of some of these hunters. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an important point and we've tried to stress that, um, that deer have maybe been taken for granted. Well, they, they have been taken for granted. In, in recent decades and but there are there are also some significant differences too um, with some of the other species so one of them of course when the National Wild Turkey Federation was really thriving um, there weren't turkeys anywhere near like we have now and it, so that was an easy pitch to people hey let's get behind this and, it, and it's done well um, you know sheep are a little different kind of a deal because I think a lot of people care about sheep but the reality is only a tiny percentage of uh, society could ever really afford to go hunt a sheep if we're being realistic about it and those folks tend to be passionate about it and they have deep pockets you know the, the sheep hunter is a special person really um, if we're going to use sheep as an example whereas the deer hunter it's it's been pretty accessible to people for a long time and it doesn't take a lot 
to once you have your hunter safety requirements taken care of, it doesn't doesn't take a lot to to grab a, a rifle or a bow and go out into the woods. And even if you don't understand the, the details of hunting deer, you can still go out and be a deer hunter relatively quickly. It's certainly not like preparing for a sheep hunt. And so because of that, because of the accessibility and because of the perceived uh, notion that there are always tons of deer and we don't have to worry about them, it, it makes you complacent and it makes you feel like, well, yeah, I don't know, maybe there's no real concern here. So why do I need to join a deer group? And, but the reality now is this is not the good old, time, good old days of deer hunting right now. We have declining hunter numbers. That's a problem. We have chronic wasting disease, which is a gigantic problem uh, that, that deer haven't faced in our lifetimes. Um, so that's a huge issue. Uh, we have less opportunities in terms of places for, for people to go hunting is a problem. And then another problem is I think that the average person, whether you're a hunter or not, just does not understand or connect with deer. And that's a problem, as Lindsay said, 70% of the people that hunt anything are deer hunters. That they buy a hunting license, seven out of 10 will hunt deer, which means the money that's generated off of the backs of deer and deer hunting is huge. It's a huge piece of the pie that goes to state wildlife agencies and others to manage all wildlife. So we need to be talking to people who like to watch birds or who are into other types of wildlife because deer really matter to them too. And when you have huge issues like chronic wasting disease and declining hunters, uh, this all results in, in less deer, less money generated from deer and less wildlife conservation overall. And that's a story that, that we've never really tried to tell. And it's an important one. And, and we see it as a responsibility to tell it. Lindsay, I want to go back to something that you talked about. You, you mentioned uh, some new information is going to be coming out uh, you know, in regards to the merger. Um, have we settled on a name yet? No, we have not. That's um, one of the things we're going to be working on through the strategic planning process. And, and hopefully, um, I think, as we said, we're, we're hoping to have that um, decided before deer season really gets going hot and heavy this year. We need to do that soon. Um, you know, we, as part of the discussion process that led up to this announcement and the decision by the staffs and both boards to go ahead with this and, and, and unify, that was one of the questions. You know, what are, are we going to change the name? Is it going to be NDA? Is it going to QDMA or, or what? And, and everybody agreed, you know, this is a time for change. It is a time for sort of rebooting and um, having, you know, new, a new approach in some ways. Uh, and so we felt that a new name was appropriate. Um, we don't know what that is at this point. We're working on that and we're looking for suggestions. So anybody that's got suggestions, we'd love to hear that. Um, you know, at the same time, when, you know, when I talk about the name, I also point out to people that we discussed the logo and across the board, everyone was unanimous that we stick with QDMA's uh, logo and that's the buck and doe silhouette. So you kind of got, you know, a new name coming for an organization with a bit of a, a new look and a new approach to things. Um, but you've got this symbol, uh, the logo, that has a lot of symbolic significance for us. It goes all the way back to 32 years ago when Joe Hamilton founded QDMA. He sketched that logo by hand. And his intent was to 
use it as as a indicator to all deer hunters that both does and bucks matter in deer hunting in deer management um, they're both important this isn't about bucks and it's not just not about antlers so that logo has significant uh, significance for us and symbolic uh, it's a connection to our roots and so that's going to stay but be paired with a new name that represents this unification of these these two groups that, that makes me feel good because I absolutely love that logo as I'm sitting here right above my computer is uh, my first Deer Steward One um, certificate that has the logo right at the top. And it, it is simplistic. It is modern yet uh, very, like you said, it, it, has, it signifies uh, what the organization is about. So I'm very glad to hear that that logo is not changing. Uh, before we wrap things up here, the, I guess I want to give each of you one last thing that you would like to see or you would like to tell members. What is it, you know, current members or maybe someone that's listening that isn't a member yet, why should they join and or if they're already a member, why should they continue being a member of this new organization? I think the first thing I'd say is there's nothing, nothing is changing for you in terms of you getting less. And so there would be no reason to not continue being a member if you already were one. Um, as we said, it's more, it's more for everybody. It's not less. And so therefore, I would look at it as I'm a member and now there's going to be even more impact on the mission because of this. A lot of positive changes. And there are a lot of things, even structurally and behind the scenes, that, that are happening and will happen to make this a stronger, healthy organization for the long term. So really you're you're paying the same bill but you're going to get more so there's no reason to not be a member if you already are one if you're not one uh, we we think that this is an opportunity for you to reevaluate number one um, understand that it, so, so a lot of people that i've talked to over the years and even people that i've invited to become members of qdma would say to me well it's a big buck organization and so that to me has been really unfair to an organization that has been uh, much more broadly involved with conservation with, with mature deer being, uh, being a symptom of, of conservation and, and better understanding of deer, how they operate uh, and, and age structure and so on. The list is a long one, but it's not, it's not, it's never been the big buck organization. Okay. And so we have an opportunity now to, and this is part of the name change, to, I think, make everybody feel a little bit more welcome, even though there was no reason not to feel welcome before. Um, I think that uh, this is disarming a little bit to say, um, while the programs that we've done at QDMA aren't going away, and while we're adding an even stronger policy piece uh, to, to fight these battles that impact deer and hunters, we're more broadly a conservation organization on a lot of levels. And so if you care about deer, whether, you, whether you're the person that buys a license and you only get to go out on two Saturdays a year, this is still an organization for you because you care about the resource you wanna hunt and you wanna have healthy herds to hunt when you go out there. You wanna have an opportunity to hunt, you wanna have a place to go. You wanna know that policy uh, that impacts your ability to go, whether it be Sunday hunting, uh, being able to hunt on a Sunday, which is still an issue in, in Pennsylvania uh, and some other states, frankly, 
you want to know that somebody's working on your behalf. And so this is a conservation organization, period. And one of the symptoms of really good conservation is healthy deer. It's good age structure. It's quality. Uh, if, if people want the more mature deer, they're going to be more available to you. Um, if you, if you want to shoot an antlerless deer, it'll be healthy and available to you. Uh, that's what we're after here. So this really is an organization for anybody that cares about deer. And frankly, I've thrown out there that I have a dream where people will join this organization, even if they have no intention of shooting a deer and they join it just because they care about deer, they care about conservation and the impact that this animal has on it. Uh, that remains to be seen, but I'd love to see that someday. That, that I, I feel like that couldn't have been said any better, uh, but Lindsay, <laughs> for, for, I guess. Uh, You're going to make me follow that? I'm going to make you follow that, but let's, let's change the question just a little bit. Um, what can myself and other members of QDMA uh, and will then be of this new organization, what can we do to help you get the word out and get more members? You know, it's, uh, there's a lot of things and it's, it's just stay engaged with us. It is, uh, there's so many ways. Share our materials, share our educational articles uh, and support materials from the website. Um, connect folks with us through social media. And an easy one is to uh, invite folks to sign up for our weekly newsletter. And you just go to qdma.com slash newsletter. And, you know, you sign up for that, it's free. Folks can get it, but they can learn through that um, new ways to engage with us, more that they can learn from us if they become members or supporters in other ways. Um, so just connecting with us there, visiting the website, qdma.com, and looking at all the resources that we've got there right now for anyone who'd like to go check that out. Helping those folks see what we're about. You know, many times, um, Nick touched on this a little bit about some of the misperceptions that have followed us for years. Uh, that are out there. People have disregarded QDMA because they thought they knew what we were about. And when I hear them you know, explain what they thought we were about, I realized if they just went to the website and spent a few minutes looking around, they'd realize we weren't who they thought we were. So inviting folks to visit the website and check us out there is a great way to you know, help folks see who we are, what we do, and, and the, the work that we do and will continue doing in the conservation arena. Um, and just, you know, simply joining is a simple way. It's, it's uh, not a, it's $35. It is not a big fee, uh, annual fee. And, and, you know, we've got a reputation for being efficient with that, that money and, and driving as much of that toward our mission as we can. I think we're going to even enhance that going forward. This, this year has been a lesson for us, even still in terms of efficient expenditures and budgeting. And so, you know, you'll, we'll be even more streamlined and efficient than we were before. So there's lots of ways to learn about us and for someone to share QDMA with others. You know, if you're a member and Quality Whitetails magazine shows up when you're done reading it, pass it on to someone. Uh, share it with a neighbor or sign them up as a member. Invite them to an event once we start having events. Um, so, you know, word of mouth, you know, sharing with your social networks online. There's lots of different ways to share QDMA with uh, your friends and fellow hunters. I have to chuckle whenever you mention sharing the quality Whitetails magazine with friends and neighbors, just because my father, uh, who's now you know a new member of just a couple of years now, uh, after he's done reading his, he works as an electrician and 
goes to different uh, businesses and, um, you know, he'll take that and he'll just leave it in their lunchroom uh, so that other people can read it. And he's mentioned quite a few times that that magazine is, is gone within, you know, by the next time he goes back to that business. So um, yeah, just something as simple as, like you said, sharing your magazine with someone else that I think that speaks profoundly in the uh, word of mouth aspect that can really get a bunch of people uh, involved, especially if they trust you. Well, tell him I said thank you for, for that action that he's taken. That, that uh, probably goes further than he realizes. I will make sure to pass that on. Nick, Lindsay, thank you for coming on with me. Uh, I really appreciate this. This definitely puts me at ease. And hopefully for the QDMA members that listen to this podcast, it puts them at ease. And for anyone who's not, uh, hopefully this entices them to join this new organization and, and become a part of something that really benefits white-tailed deer across its entire range. Thank you for the opportunity and uh, your, we encourage your listeners to reach, uh, excuse me, to reach out to us. Ask us questions if they have them. They can find us through the QDMA website and uh, these opportunities that, that you give us to get to the grassroots and your listeners are, are very much appreciated. So thank you. Yeah, definitely, Jason. Thank you again for all you've done for, for QDMA and, and, uh, and this opportunity as well. We look forward to working with you forward as the, the new organization develops. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you. All right, that is it for this episode. And I really want to thank Lindsay and Nick for coming on to talk about this. Um, their excitement has turned into my excitement. Uh, I, I have to be honest, when I first heard about the merger, just that fear of the unknown, as we talked about, it, it can be sort of sort of daunting. Uh, but after talking with them and seeing their vision and, and some of the things that they've already talked about and discussed, I think this is actually going to really help current members of the QDMA. I think it's going to help get more people involved with this organization and the programs that are already in place. I think that it's going to allow more flexibility at the local chapter level, which is extremely, extremely important to have uh, you know, those chapter, those sort of local level get togethers and things like that. As I said uh, earlier in this episode, you know, just being able to get together and network and make friends and ask questions and, and answer questions if you've uh, been around uh, in the organization for a while, I think that is just tremendously beneficial. So I have been put at ease. Last thing I want to do is I want to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, share with friends, share with family, share with the stranger you see over at the gas station. Let's uh, get this, keep this growing by word of mouth and uh, have a, a big impact uh, from a sort of grassroots effort. Uh, if you want to get a little more information on things that we've been doing, things we are going to do, and just some more general news about conservation, sign up for our newsletter at conservewild.org. And we'll let you know what's going on. Until next week, stay wild.